Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. So a survey came out a few years ago that said that one in three American adults are pervasively dissatisfied with their lives. Research has also shown that if you're born after 1970, you're seven times more likely to have depression than those who were born before 1970. One in four of Americans have some sort of addiction, whether substance or behavior. We're drowning in record personal and public debt. And the crazy thing is we live in one of the most affluent times in our country's history, safest periods in our country's history. So, I mean, everything is awesome, but everyone, a lot of people are feeling really miserable. Why is that? Well, our guest today wrote a book and we wanted to find out the answer to that. His name is Jim Rubens. He is a New Hampshire politician as well as businessman. And his book is called Over Success, Healing the American Obsession with Wealth, Fame, Power, and Perfection. And in this book, Mr. Rubin makes the argument that the reason why everyone's so miserable is that we're pursuing material success at all costs. It's something we put up before anything else, as well as fame and notoriety. And he makes the case that's making us miserable. And he gets into sociological research, psychological research, neuroscience that shows that our obsession with success, and he calls this obsession with success over success, is making us feel terrible. So it's a fascinating discussion. I think you're really going to like what we talk about today. It's sort of a balance. A lot of times on the podcast, we talk about how to be more successful. I think his book provides a, a warning if you get too crazy with that. So without further ado, Jim Rubin's Over Success. All right, Jim Rubens, welcome to the show. And it is a pleasure being here. All right, so your book is Over Success, and I encountered this book by accident at the library a few years ago. And for some reason, I, I was drawn to it, checked it out, and really uh, was amazed by the content and the argument you make. And you make, basically make this, the argument that there's a disease, quote unquote, and you call it over success. And it affects Westerners, but primarily Americans. What are the symptoms of over success? Well, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll launch right into what is, well, start with what's natural and healthy and good for human beings. We're, we're unique among the species on Earth. We're a species that is very, very good at working with one another in groups. And we have done amazing things over the past 10,000 years uh, because of our ability to form groups and to transmit knowledge and cultural behaviors, healthy cultural behaviors uh, from generation to generation. And we've basically gone from a blip on the uh, on the species radar screen uh, 60,000 years ago to basically dominating the Earth today. And there's a reason for that, and it's it's 
the healthy parts of success. And what, what's the healthy part is is that we, we all, as individuals, uh, want to have internal satisfaction from producing something of value, of being recognized uh, by people who are close to us, of attaining personal goals, uh, achieving altruism, or mastering mastering something difficult. And in doing that, in doing those things, often, and this is a healthy thing, we, we seek to attain recognition and uh, and satisfaction from a pat on the back from other people who are close to us. And and those motivations, that motivation to do that for the good of our group, for the good of our community, if you want to call it a community, uh, has led to this, this extraordinary uh, progress that humans have made, uh, particularly in America over the past 200 some odd years. We've, we've We've doubled the human lifespan, for example. We've created uh, food abundance so that uh, so that there's very few of us in America ever need to even be concerned about having enough uh, warmth in our homes or, or or food in our bellies. It's not universally true, but we've 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 eliminated hunger and uh, and, and 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 starvation uh, in a remarkable way. Now, the unhealthy. Uh, what I call over-success and obsession, and the title of the book, Over-Success, Healing the American Obsession with Wealth, Fame, Power, and Perfection, the, the unhealthy part of it is due in part to the change in the world, the changes in the world we, we live in. And unhealthy success or over-success is when uh, people uh, are pathologically pursuing unattainable goals or fixated on a, on a table, unattainable goals, but more wealth, fame, power, and perfection or beauty than, than can be obtained uh, by, by ordinary people. So healthy success, uh, doing things for personal satisfaction, uh, improving life in your group, uh, mastering something, unhealthy success, a pathological pursuit of unattainable goals, whatever they might be. Have you experienced over-success in your own life? Was that, I mean, was that what caused you to start investigating this and doing the research about it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that, it's a, it's a, we, human beings are all different. Uh, we vary on, on various scales you know, of, of uh, behaviors and, uh, and personal goals and attributes. And myself, I had early in, early in my adulthood, I decided to live a very simple life uh, without, without, Without uh, being motivated much by materialism, so I, I did I did most of what I did uh, for for altruistic reasons, and I started it's my first business. I started about ten businesses in my life since then. My first business was was started purely out of altruism. I wanted to have recycling in my area of the country in Vermont and New Hampshire, and there was no recycling. I called the EPA, asked them how do you start a recycling center. They said it cannot be done where you are. So that stimulated the heck out of me. I'm a, I'm a business person and I love uh, entrepreneurship. So I, I figured out a way to make recycling happen. In about three months, we were recycling about 5% of the entire solid waste stream of 30 towns around uh, a town that I started this in. I did so in a shoestring and built it into a very successful business almost almost instantly. And uh, about a year and a half later, I sold the business because a conventional rubbish hauler uh, had seen this can be done, wanted the branding of recycling. And so I sold the business, and I was hitchhiking back in a November day. This is the introductory uh, paragraph in my book. I was hitchhiking back in a cold November day. It was spitting snow, and I was cold. I was dressed in goodwill clothing, and I looked I looked like a bum on the side of the road because that's the way I dressed. I was not into materialism any kind, and I couldn't get a ride because I didn't believe in having a car, and I could not get a ride back to my house a few miles away, and I decided I, I, I watched all the... Uh, 
the gleaming new cars come by with working heaters and, uh, and well-dressed people inside and decided that uh, I, my voluntary simplicity lifestyle uh, was was too painful for me. So I, I, I switched sides and I uh, became an entrepreneur. And I, like I said, I started a number of businesses and I discovered that no matter how successful I was at doing things, uh, at getting money, at getting recognition, at, at accomplishing stuff that there was in, in me, and this is my psychology, I discovered there were these unmet needs that no matter what I did, no matter how high I set my goals and no matter how how, how well I achieved them, uh, I was always wanting. I always wanted more. So I began researching this, and it led to five years of research that resulted in the book. Uh, and I don't claim or state that Every American is subject to these motivations, but I, but I have found, and this is the research in the book, that about a, about a third of Americans, due to human nature, the human body, the human brain, and what's unique about America, the United States of America, makes about a third of us susceptible to to this uh, this set of uh, this set of problems uh, and, and challenges ahead of my own life. So yes, this book came out of my first experience. So you you call it you know, over success sort of a pathological drive for success, but what happens when you have that pathological drive? Does it lead to depression, addiction, alcohol? I mean, what what are the what are the the ills that come with being so driven for recognition, money, material goods? Well, one of the things that that comes out of um, failing to achieve uh, goals for yourself that are unattainable. The pathological pursuit of unattainable goals. One of the things that come out of that is uh, you you poison your brain's reward system. I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, and it, it's possible that one, in in doing this, can can become depressed, and one can degrade one's own life. I'll start with a little bit of brain science. Uh, we have a reward system in our brain. All all creatures that move have a reward system, and it's been uh, uh, changed by. Uh, by evolution over over the uh, over the millennia, uh, even 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 single-celled creatures that crawl uh, have a reward system that, that directs them to things that are good or likely to be good for that creature, and directs them away from things that are not good or likely not to be good for that creature. Your reward system uh, looks at this whole panoply of things that you can do for yourself, whether it's getting some more sex, getting more money, getting more food, uh, doing something exciting. Uh, doing something novel, all of these things uh, drive human uh, behavior, and this reward system sorts through all these uh, these these uh, exposures that we have, and and helps us determine uh, automatically which of these things we're going to pursue. And uh, this reward system operates, uh, and this is a bit oversimplified, but this this reward system in our brain uh, terminates in part in this part of our brain called the nucleus accumbens. And the, the last stage of the reward system is a surge in release of dopamine in the brain, uh, which is picked up by five different uh, receptors in this area of the brain uh, that uh, that determine for us what direction we should go in and how rewarding uh, or how how rewarding uh, a behavior is expected to be. Now, we can poison that reward system. Uh, some people poison it. Through uh, through addictions, uh, some people are prone to addiction. About uh, about a quarter of Americans are, are addicted to at least one substance or behavior. When you're when you're addicted to a substance or behavior, 
uh, you begin seeking out that substance or behavior, and it, it culminates in, uh, in, in a fanatic desire to do nothing but get more money or get more of that, 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 that substance or that behavior. And over time, you poison the reward system, diminishing uh, its response to pleasurable or likely to be pleasurable activities or, or inputs, uh, so making you less sensitive to rewarding things. So another thing that can poison the reward system, because human beings are rewarded by attention. It's very clear that that same part of the reward system that uh, lights up and dopamine is released uh, with the expectation of having good sex or having a wonderful meal or a stimulating experience or something novel and exciting, uh, being uh, recognized and uh, viewed uh, by others is rewarding to that same uh, that, that portions of that same reward system. <laughs> so, um, if if uh, if if one is frustrated in getting these rewards, uh, particularly the the attention reward, the status reward that I talked about in the book, uh, over time. Uh, the, the, the brain's reward system is poison, uh, making it less susceptible to, to naturally occurring rewards. The status research was just fascinating to me um, because, of, because you also relate to how it relates to problems that men are facing today. Can, what role, I mean, what, what's the, the dopamine, or is it not dopamine, it's serotonin? Right, the neurotransmitter. Yeah, that, that, that's a different neurotransmitter, and I, I haven't, I didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time exploring that in the book, and I, I don't intend this book to be a, a, a brain science book, but I wanted to explore just a, a portion of the reward pathway uh, to show that the science up to the time I, I was working on this book was showing you the, the reward system can be injured uh, by by addictions. By, by frustration in in uh, in one's effort to reach uh, reach unattainable goals, and in what I call status insults or status defeat. Yeah. So, for example, they've they've researched uh, rats and mice. If you take uh, a mouse, a a low status mouse, and and all all mammals uh, have an inherent uh, an inherent status rank. If you put put them in put mice in a group, uh, they'll sort out. Uh, they'll be dominant mice and uh, subordinate mice. And if you take a subordinate mouse, an actually occurring subordinate mouse, and put it in a cage with a dominant mouse for ten minutes a day, once a day, and the dominant mouse uh, elicits certain behaviors in the subordinate mouse. If you do that for ten minutes a day, the subordinate mouse, after approximately a week or two. Uh, scientists call that mouse defeated. Uh, the mouse will switch its behavior pattern uh, to become uh, more likely to hide in corners, uh, less less likely to engage in the, in the swim test where it would swim across uh, some water to get food or to get to a different location in a cage. So mice and human beings can be defeated by excessive exposure to status superiors or be, be socially defeated uh, or suffer status defeat uh, by by failing to achieve uh, goals again unattainable goals uh, or being under recognized under appreciated. This gets into politically uh, politically controversial territory, but uh, men and women are different. We can look at our, our bodies. We have different bodies, and it, it it follows and it's been proven to be so by science. And again, it's politically incorrect to talk about this, but men and women have different brains and different psychological functions. And, and bottom line, men are more sensitive to status defeat, as I've des described it, than women. 
uh, if you look at uh, and I'll, this is this is uh, this is some data about uh, this is about eight weeks after conception, uh, a male uh, a, a male a boy eight weeks after conception, uh, the body is flooded with testosterone at about twice the levels that a boy is exposed to during adolescence, and it. it alters the structure of, of brain development as, as the child is growing. And you can see, uh, you, you can see differences in, in boys and girls, even before they can possibly have any, any sexual role models imprinted upon them. Boys, uh, young, young boys, very, very young, uh, attention and gaze is directed at machines. Uh, men and boys are interested in systems and machines. The girls are attracted, and this is girls very young before any kind of sexual imprinting could possibly take place. Science has shown this to be the case. The girls will look at, at faces. So girls are, are good at uh, reading faces, at uh, social interaction. Uh, males, boys are, are good at systems thinking, um, good at building stuff. Uh, the body is a male body is bigger. The male was uh, built over time. Uh, the male has uh, almost every case been primarily engaged in warfare. So uh, if you look at the current data, this grows out of the difference between the male and the female brains. If you look at men, uh, they're more prone to drug addiction for pleasure. Uh, there's about the two to three times greater uh, drug addiction prevalence among males than females. It's about four times for alcohol. Uh, the male brains have more of those dopamine receptor neurons than female brains. So all of this, and it, it's, it's a lengthy chapter in this book, but all of this leads to the male brain being more reward sensitive, more sensitive to rank and status, sensitive, uh, more sensitive to rank and status, relative rank and status in the world. I think you even mentioned how they've done tests where they'll expose men and women to status defeats. They'll create some sort of experiment where they do that. And, and the, the women, they don't really have much of a response. Um, but in the men, like cortisol floods the body. There's parts of the brain that light up um, that don't light up in women's bodies. So, yeah, like you're saying that the men are, I guess, wired for being very, very sensitive to, to status. To status defeat. No, no, this is not to say that men and women are all, all men are one way and all women sure. are the other way. This is a spectrum of behaviors across, uh, but it, it's more likely that a male will be more sensitive to status defeat, more sensitive to his rank within his group or society uh, than, than a, a typical female. But there can be females that are more sensitive to status rank, more more interested in power, power relationships than males. So these are these are these are tendencies across the spectrum of human behavior. But but it does lead to men, as I mentioned, uh, being more sensitive to status failure, to status defeat. And we've also seen changes in America that has aggravated this. And we'll keep talking about males here versus females. Uh, before about 1970 in America, after World War II, the male was typically the breadwinner. We had uh, we had a lot of jobs for breadwinners. We had typically the male would go out and work and be able to support an entire family. Now, since that and since that time in the past 40 years, the bottom 80 percent of men, and this is by income, the bottom 80 80 percent of men have seen their wages decline as we've shifted. Uh, from labor to uh, to professions demanding intelligence and social skills, and yet women over this past uh, 
past 40 years have seen their incomes go up 33%. Now, there has been a, there was a disparity between wages uh, between men and women, uh, you know, in the 1970s. That gap is closing, but this is fairly recent data. Over the past 10 years, if you have a man and a woman never married, no children, uh, in their 30s to 40s, they now earn about the same amount. The wage gap is closed between the sexes in America for never married, childless, uh, childless men and women. So men have seen their income status drop. This is the bottom 80% of men by income and, and women, women go up due to the changes in our economy. So, so males have less of the traditional award, the tra- traditional awards that have come with those breadwinner roles as the, as the economy of change, as the economy has changed. So number one, men are inherently more sensitive to rank, uh, to rank, to questions, and the economy has, has, in essence, aggravated. The American economy has aggravated uh, this problem uh, uniquely for men. And it doesn't mean that women are not affected by this, but but just on average, uh, across the whole spectrum of behavior and people, um, these changes have been, uh, in general, more adverse for men. The shift from a manufacturing economy to an intelligence and social skills-based economy. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents, to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. 
And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best, become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Well, you've uh, served in public office and you've, you've run for um, public office. And yeah. how does that, how does this shift where men are no longer breadwinners, is that going to have, is that having and will that have long-term implications for our society and our country as a whole? Definitely so. When when the women's movement really began in, in the younger part of my life in, in the 70s, uh, society was called upon and did and is paying attention to problems unique to women. And it's really at the point now where we have to begin paying serious attention to problems that are unique to men. And, and we can see data showing how serious this is for, uh, if you look at data related to white, uh, not in school, young men between, say, 18 and 24, if you look at this data, you see this spike over the past 20 years, 20 and 30 years, in rootless, disconnected uh, men who don't have specific roles in the economy or society. Uh, they're hanging out, not being productive, not fulfilling themselves. And this stems from the change in the kind of jobs available, the kind of economy we have right now. And it's, it's important for policymakers and myself, when I was in office, I was attuned to this as much as I could, uh, the need to pay policy attention to these questions. It relates to, uh, if you look at data uh, in higher education, uh, you see women uh, pushing 60% of, of college attendees now and college graduates are now females uh, compared to men. So we, we, we have to pay attention to the need to shift uh, the way our education system works with men versus women uh, as, as one thing that, that needs to be done. Yeah, I was um, a few months ago, I was talking to a relationship expert who um, she was, had her PhD and um, she you know claimed to be a feminist. She called herself a feminist. And she even said that this shift that's happening it's really disrupting uh, marriage 
because while yeah. men, um, w- while women are still adva- while they're advancing in the workplace, they would still rather prefer to marry a man who makes more money than them. And that's what the statistics are showing. Um, but when fewer, when men, when there's not men, when the more and more men are doing worse in the the workplace, there are fewer and fewer uh, eligible bachelors, so to speak. Uh, and this could have long-term implications on a lot of things on a societal level when it comes to things like uh, our welfare, you know, welfare system, which is based on us having continuing to have children. And if we have a, a decrease in demo, uh, demographics, that can affect a whole wide range of things. Right. It's it's very well known that that you know healthy families need need uh, a, a man and a woman, a husband and wife. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with gay marriage, so it could be it could be two men, but but typically it'll be a husband and wife rearing a child. And because we're having this growing population of young loser men, and what I mean by losers is people who are not in school, not productively employed. It's a growing fraction of young white men uh, fall into this category, and 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 women who are seeking to sustain you know, a healthy role in the economy are not attracted to an economic loser. And it is causing a that that is one component of the cause of a delay and a reduction in initial marriages, and that's not healthy for society. As you, as you mentioned, you need to have babies born <laughs> in a country, uh, so there's a natural flow from from young to old, uh, and so we don't run into the problem that Japan is happening, where you have this this rapidly aging population with uh, young people not wanting to form families, uh, with women not wanting to marry men. Uh, and uh, and young people not being born. Yeah. So you you talk about how oversuccess is this uh, pathological drive for unattainable goals, which raises the question: How did we get these the no, these unattainable goals? Right. Like, why do we have these unattainable goals now? Was was there a time in our right. country's history where we had a little bit more modesty about what we were capable of of accomplishing, or? Did something happen where the, the limits became, you know, pretty much endless for our what we could achieve in life? Yeah, there there has been a change, and again, this 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 is uh, in, in in one measure caused by the kind of media uh, that forms uh, the groups that we inhabit psychologically. If you look back through human history, this is going back to hunter gatherers and uh, up until fairly recently. Uh, the, the the average group that we inhabited, uh, the people we related to, we related to these people face to face. These groups were were stable. Uh, they could be a, they could be a tribe, hunter gatherer tribe. They could be a, a village in uh, in classic uh, classic New England. <laughs> but but the people with whom we related, we knew for our entire life. Those relationships were stable. Uh, people had a very good sense of one another's roles. And in these smaller groups, that that, that number in the dozens or or a small number of hundreds, in these smaller groups, everyone, regardless of their capacity, had almost everyone had some kind of role that was valuable for the group. They did something. Uh, group hierarchies were selected, uh, again, face-to-face, uh, often in, in small groups like this. Uh, leaders are selected by consensus from the bottom up as opposed to be imposed uh, by a boss from above. And as society changed and as we moved away from small groups, uh, the, the group that we now inhabit, and this is partly 
due to globalization. In large measure, it's due to the kind of uh, uh, media that we spend hours looking at. Uh, the average American spends eight hours a day looking at screens. Uh, people still spend four hours a day looking at television. Retired people in America are pushing over eight hours a day watching TV. We're now in, we're now inhabiting a psychological group in the billions. I, I estimate the number being two billion as, as the people uh, on the earth who, who inhabit this world uh, where we spend hours a day looking at people who are more beautiful, richer, more famous, more talented uh, th than we are. And not only that, when, when these people are on television or on media, they often have a battery of publicists and retouching digital retouch artists, making them even more perfect than they actually are. So the people with whom and against whom we compare ourselves in order to determine our rank, we're no longer looking at a small group that might be a village or a tribe. We're looking at the the, the brightest, the most famous, the most successful, the most talented, the most well-trained uh, people that the earth can produce. And, and the human beings have become phenomenal at, at attaining remarkable... Look at, the, look at the women's soccer team that just won here for America. The, the extent of training and selection that members of that, that team go through to get to that point is phenomenal. The, 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 so the sorting process, the sifting and sorting process that we go through in America to select uh, uh, our most recognized people is more intense than it has, uh, than it has been uh, throughout most of, of, of human history, most of human evolutionary history. So, the, so we're comparing ourselves to, to people uh, that we can't possibly emulate if we're realistic about it. And this causes to some people who are, who are who, this is not everyone, but, but that fraction of, of human beings and Americans who are sensitive to this, it causes some of us who are sensitive to this to suffer status defeat simply as a result of uh, being forced to compare ourselves to people like that. And you see this in the, in the checkout counter as you're walking through your supermarket. Look at the covers of the tabloids. Look at, look at typically uh, the people you see. They're, they're gorgeous, they're famous, they're rich, they're successful. Why can't I be like that? When did... Uh, and, when did just, oh, go no. ahead. Yeah. I was going to ask go you, ahead, when, yeah. when was Over Success initial, uh, originally published? 2009, early 2009. Yeah. So, so this my, was... My data, yeah. This was before like uh, like the big social media explosion. And I think that like with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram... Um, for example, I think may have just compounded what you just talked about, even made it more more acute and more intense. Yeah, well, Facebook was certainly around at that time, and I, I spend time talking about it. People, people, who, apologists for the system say, well, Facebook groups and communities are, are a good substitute for face-to-face -face communities, and that is absolutely not true. Anyone who who participates in Facebook, Facebook, uh, it's easy to enter, it's easy to exit. Uh, you may never see that person face-to-face. -face. Uh, the reputations of people, their trustworthiness is determined, uh, is, is sometimes undeterminable. Healthy human communities in which ordinary people have roles that are satisfying and satisfy their need for status, their need for recognition, these groups typically, uh, if you look throughout human history, these groups typically are, are in the range of 100 or 200 people. And you are with members of that group for your entire lifetime. So you know who can be trusted, you know who's good and who's not so good at various and various tasks. And also, as I mentioned, there are roles for almost everyone in that group, valuable, valued roles for almost everyone. 
So, so Facebook and social media is not a substitute for long-term, stable, face-to-face relationships. I'm curious uh, if you if there's any connection to some of these mass shootings that we've had in our country. Because one thing I've noticed, you know, some of them are some of these. They're usually males, always men, who, take, yes. who do this. Yes. And one thing I've always noticed, they typically write a manifesto of some sort before they take part, and they'll explain why they're doing this. And oftentimes, it's just filled with just writings about how they feel like they're not respected, and that people aren't respecting the way they think they should be respected. And then after they do this, then they will be known and be respected and get the respect they think they yeah. are entitled to is like is, is status defeat connected somehow to that or is it are they are they two, two completely different issues i i attempt to make that case in in the book uh, now my my data ended in about 2007 2008 uh but if, if you look at and this is still true today uh males are responsible for at least 80 percent of all violent crimes the question has to be asked why is it that it's almost always males perpetrating uh, these things. And again, it comes back to my thesis that males are simply more status sensitive. They're more sensitive to status insults uh, than females. It's not that females are are not subjected to these pressures. 80% of females in America don't like their own bodies as a result of this media pressure that females are putting these these unattainable goals to have this this, uh, idealized, quote-unquote, perfect body. So females are also subjected to this pressure, but the female brain responds differently to this kind of status insult than the male brain does. So what are the solutions? Because I, I, whenever these sort of shootings happen or whenever the travesty happens or whenever yeah. we talk about, yeah. th- there's always sort of these trite responses about, well, the men just need to get used to this new system. Uh, is that well, the appropriate response or is there something else that we should do to... To handle this, uh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. If we're if we're talking about school shootings, uh, first of all, I don't believe that taking guns away will will help anything. I'm myself uh, back uh, arming uh, a trained, certified individual in schools, and we've seen that these acts of school violence can be mitigated, reduced, uh, and uh, nipped in the bud earlier when when there is a trained uh, person in the in the school. But there are clearly things we need to do to help. And again, it's primarily uh, young boys who, who who are subjected to status defeat, often as a result of bullying. It could be, and it's it's often boys that are that have B's and A's in their grades. It's not that they're not smart. Uh, it's it's boys that might look or behave odd, and we we need to be very very careful about stopping bullying and finding places uh, where where help can be given to people uh, before uh, this kind of violence erupts. Uh, I advocate in my book uh, that we ought to be ramping up uh, uh, single sex schools. But, and it should be by choice. A parent should not be obligated to send their boy to an all-boys school. But there are about 500 in the U.S. now. We, we can see that properly managed, uh, because boys learn differently than girls. They, this is, again, politically uh, incorrect to say that, but boys are experiential, tangible learners. They're spatial learners. In general, this is not true of everyone. Uh, girls learn better in the classroom uh, where you sit down and hear lectures. Um, it's just... The brains are different. On average, 
And again, I'm, I'm avoiding being politically incorrect here. This doesn't apply to every girl and every boy, but uh, there there should be uh, a greater 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 use of uh, of single sex schools for parents who wish their child to be in such schools. Got to be one one solution. Uh, dealing with bullying, very very important, very important. The peers, uh, if you look at these studies at the school violence, you see that in in many many cases, eighty percent of cases, a peer, someone who knew. Uh, the perpetrator knew the precise features of the violence plan before it was executed. Schools should pay very great attention to encouraging peers to report these things to the teacher or to the school leaders. Uh, the school leaders acting uh, in, in a humane way uh, with people uh, who, are, who, are, um, who, who might who might have such a plan or a plot in mind. Besides some of these big policy um, ideas that we can do to mitigate status defeat and over-success, what about like just yeah. an individual's own life? And maybe there's someone who's out there listening where they feel like yeah. they're just frustrated. They don't feel like they're, they have, they're at the, the amount of success or the level of success that they, they should right. have. Are there things that right. individuals can do that sort of can take the kind of blunt the effects of over-success? Yeah, absolutely. The last chapter of my book has about about 20 things that we can do. About half of them are things that individuals can do. The simplest and the first of my bullet points, the first of the 20, is that people in America uh, and throughout the world, but in America here, we ought to start being polite and responsive to one another. When we're walking down the street, uh, nod and smile at the person. Complete stranger, you may never see them again, but nod and smile at that person. You will brighten that person's day. You could change that person's life in a particular time. Hold the door for someone. Don't be don't be obnoxious about it. Uh, you know, if someone is within a few five or ten uh, steps of where you're, hold the door open for them, regardless of how old or young or what sex they are. Hold the door for them. Um, so so, you know, be, be kind. Say please. Say thank you. Uh, chivalrous. I see that on, on your Art of Manliness website, the uh, you know, the, the renewal of of male male chivalrous roles. But both sexes ought to do this. And and again, what this does, it creates a a a a a warm place for people, uh, possibly in a moment in their lives when they need this, they can make a difference. Another thing we can do uh, that is uh, that is personal, and this is for ourselves: be rational about the goals that we set. For, for ourselves. Be rational about the goals you select for yourself. I, I, I use the 50% rule. Select goals that you're about 50% likely to attain in your life. You don't want to select goals that are impossible. If you're not good at running, don't try to become an Olympic runner. Uh, it's just it's just going to frustrate you. Uh, select goals where you have the talents, uh, the aptitudes, uh, the social networks that, that are feasible in your own life. And, and don't perpetually set goals that are impossible for yourself. Uh, 30% of American uh, teenagers think they're going to become famous someday, and they literally structure their lives, uh, and uh, Facebook is a culprit here, about trying to become famous on Facebook or or by some other means. Uh, That's not a realistic goal. So that's something that an individual can do. Set rational goals for yourself. Um, Something that's more structural that individuals can participate in, I call them new villages. And, And again, I I talked about the natural uh, evolutionary adaptedness of human beings to small, stable groups where we know one another and we 
are with one another face to face over long periods of time, and we we form durable relationships. We know one another to the extent to know who's good at what, who's not so good at at what, and roles are found in such groups. Everyone, I call them new villages, and we can install these new villages in our workplaces. Uh, and in our communities, uh, we ought to be working very hard in America at finding alternatives to these mass scale organizations uh, composed of millions of people where only one or two or ten people can be recognized. Uh, a company, I, I, I like to, and I point this one out in my book, a company called W.L. Gore, they make Gore Tex. They're a large company with several thousand employees, but they break their work groups into not greater than 150 or 200 people. When a work group making a particular product or service gets bigger than that, they have a, a corporate policy to break the group down. They literally build buildings that are sized to hold only 200 or so people, and they build new buildings and break groups down into new work groups when they get bigger than that. And they do that specifically so that people know one another. And in each work group, leaders of that group are selected bottom-up by consensus. People bid for the opportunity to lead work groups in W.L. Gore uh, based upon their ability to sell themselves to other people, to their peers in their work group. So you can structure a large, and this is a very profitable private organization, W.L. Gore, but they structured their corporate organization around the natural human tendency to want to, to thrive and be recognized in groups that are small enough so that almost everyone in that group can be recognized for something. So uh, another thing that I speak about in the book, have friendships. That, that the number of Americans who have zero friends, and this is good social science data, has been cut in half over the past 30 years. About a quarter of Americans report having no friends whatsoever. So friendships are one of the most highly important things. Obviously, loving relationships are important, but friendships, durable, long-range friendships where you can share deep stuff, very, very important to human lives. We've got to spend a lot more attention on this. And instead of looking to get a bigger car, a bigger house, a bigger boat, uh, you know, a prettier face, uh, think about getting a friend or two. So there's there's some examples of, of things that we can do individually. Fantastic. Well, Jim Rubens, this has been a just a fascinating discussion. Thank you for so much. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Thank you for having me. Very, very appreciative of this question. Our guest today was Jim Rubens. He's the author of the book Over Success, Healing the American Obsession with Wealth, Fame, Power, and Perfection. You can find that on Amazon.com. Go out and get it. It's a really fascinating read. You'll get a lot out of it. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And again, if you enjoy this podcast, you feel like you're getting something out of it, I'd really appreciate it if you'd go give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. A lot of you have done that for me. I really appreciate it. Your feedback will help us improve the site and you giving your review will help spread the word about the Art of Manliness podcast. So until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 